Hello and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast that explores compelling themes and some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Chris. I'm Brittany. On this episode, we'll be discussing The Hunger Games through the theme of privilege. As usual, we will talk a little bit about ourselves before we get started. So how have you seen privilege affect your life? I think growing up, I definitely had some privileges that not everybody in this country has, let alone the world. For example... When I was a kid, I was able to do gymnastics, and, and families that are financially struggling can't afford to send their kids to this extra activity every week. And, and so there was just different things that I was able to have access to that I know a lot of other people don't. Mm. And obviously, I, I was able to get a college degree, whereas, yeah, I had some scholarships, but... I didn't have to take out as many loans as other people had to take out and things like that. What about you? Yeah, I've, I've certainly have benefited from a number of privileges throughout my life. I am a, a white presenting straight man. So I, I definitely have seen a lot of that. Uh, some of it I've seen from multiple sides. So in, in ideas of, of finances, my family was fairly well off while I was growing up, as we talked about in the class episode. I went to a great school district, but I also, especially after the 2008 economic collapse, my family went through some intense economic hardships, and I definitely saw what it was like to live kind of on the other side of that. Uh, not to mention, I, growing up in a, in a wealthier suburb, I had people I was in relationships with or had friendships with who were from other econo- even higher economic statuses, and I definitely felt a kind of lack of privilege in comparison once I saw kind of how other people lived. So... A lot of my life has has mostly been me kind of understanding more and more how I've lived with privilege, but there have definitely been some times where I've, I've seen those areas where where others are privileged in ways that, that I'm not. And I, I think one of the big ones also, certainly when I was in col- first getting into, into community college, was seeing just my privilege as an American, right? And, and looking mm-hmm. at, you know, what it's like for most of the people living on this planet compared to what it's like for us and, and right. the privilege that we have just in that sense. And then the... the other privileges that exist within that intersect with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even though I'm half Japanese, which obviously I've talked about in our race episode, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, white passing, so I didn't have the same types of discrimination against me growing up that a lot of people of Eastern Asian descent have here in this country as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we should move on to our quote from The Hunger Games. Uh, and so this quote is from chapter six of the first book, The Hunger Games, when Katniss is looking out over the capital. The capital twinkles like a vast field of fireflies. Electricity in District 12 comes and goes. Usually we only have it a few hours a day. Often the evenings are spent in candlelight. The only time you can count on it is when they're airing the games or some important government message on television that is mandatory to watch. But here there would be no shortage, ever. Katniss is such a great POV character because she does see these discrepancies between what it's like to live in the capital and what it's like to live in District 12 and, and, and what those discrepancies mean, right? Mm-hmm. Not just what it means to to have the privilege of living in a place that has electricity, but also where the resources are being directed in for District 12 and, and, and seeing where that that's important. And yeah, the, the privileges are to some degree purposefully designed that way mm-hmm. because they can give them electricity when they want to. Mm-hmm. They just 
They don't want to. As much as, yeah, <laughs> they need to. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's particularly striking to me because I was just talking with one of my best friends a couple weeks ago, and he's from Myanmar. He was here for undergrad and graduate school, and then he moved back just mm. last year. And his electricity will just, like, go off whenever. There's supposedly like scheduled times that it's supposed to be off, but he says that oftentimes it doesn't follow the schedule at all. So Mm -hmm. it might just go out for three hours at a time. And if your phone wasn't charged or these different things, like you just don't have electricity, you know, it's very hot there. And so there's just no air conditioning or whatnot. Even if you have an air conditioning unit, you might not be able to use it. Mm -hmm. So. I know that these things happen, right? I know that this is a reality for millions or billions of people around around the world, but it always hits you again when you hear like a personal story for totally. it, at least for me. Yeah. Well, I suppose we should move on to our analysis of The Hunger Games then. Let's do it. What character did you bring? I decided to talk about Finnick O'Dare. Oh, yay. I love Finnick. Because Finnick, I think, is generally just a great and interesting character. But when we're first presented with him, he is kind of the epitome of privilege. Uh, He doesn't come from District 1 or 2, but he comes from a district that uh, is about fishing and about kind of getting a resource that can be food, right? Not just coal, like District 12. And his athleticism and his abilities kind of come from that in, in large sense. And he's a traditionally attractive, traditionally masculine, physically built person with charm and and all these kinds of things that that clearly grates on Katniss very quickly, um, (laughs) but is definitely charming. But then the more that we learn about him, as particularly in uh, Mockingjay, the more we see the ways that he's not been privileged. And I think that's that's really interesting and really compelling, uh, you know, because he, as a victor, is forced into slits into sex work Mm -hmm. um and he has to do this regardless of his status as a man regardless of his status as a a victor or anything else he still has lost certain agency though of course he uses it to gain secrets and other things uh, to the best of his ability but i think that his use of his privilege is also interesting in the way that he supports katniss and the way that he fights for annie and the ways that he tries to engage with things as a man who doesn't always fit those kind of concepts of masculinity. And him coming out and telling everyone about essentially the the sex slavery he was forced to do is certainly a way of being vulnerable and not adhering to traditional masculine values, especially, you know, you can see that he was considered just kind of a a ladies' man around the capital, right, where everyone thought that he just had lots of lovers and realized that he was forced into it. And he he trashes that apart in favor of the fight and in favor of ensuring that that the, the resistance can continue to fight. And so I think it's just an interesting kind of look at, at not only some subversions, but also the, the use of that that privilege. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to see in him both that he is not privileged because obviously he didn't live in the capital mm-hmm. under that he didn't live in the next three better districts mm-hmm. and you know had to suffer all of these horrors but then at the same time he was able to survive the hunger games in the first place because he was this traditionally attractive 
person and mm-hmm. was able, you know, his mentor and his prep team and everything, they were able to really capitalize on that. And yeah, that probably made the difference, right? Because those sponsors and the a well-timed gift can be the difference between life and death, you know? And Yeah, he and got he, the, the trident, right? Mm-hmm, yeah, he apparently he got like lavish things. I, it might have been said about him that like he was the only person in the Hunger Games that actually seemed well-fed mm. because just everybody wanted to sponsor him. And mm. so, yeah, I think he, he did have that privilege and he also has the privilege of, you know, where Annie was so destroyed by the games that it really inhibited her ability to like function day to day, whereas he didn't have that. Definitely, he still had, obviously, PTSD symptoms, Mm. but he didn't have that added thing on top of it that she did. And so in that situation, he could be the one that was a little more protective or whatever you want to call it. And, you know, he was able to go back in the games again. Mm. Well, go back in the games again and not die. Mm. (laughs) Whereas a lot of other people, they had been addicted to certain substances and whatnot. They just died. And so he did have certain privileges, but also a lot, a lot of disadvantages as well. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think that your point on Annie's is really important too, because yeah, I feel like he is not completely able-bodied or able, you know, Mm -hmm. he is obviously affected in really horrible ways as well, but relatively he is more privileged than Annie and he does utilize that, right? To try Mm -hmm. to, to help her in ways that he can. And I think that that's a really interesting idea because when we talk about privilege, no one is 100% privileged and few people are 100% privileged (laughs) and few people are 0% privileged, right? Mm -hmm. It certainly is the case. But I think that sometimes there's a trap of having like a privilege Olympics where, you know, who is more or less privileged as Mm -hmm. opposed to focusing on what you can do with any privileges that you have for those who don't. And I, I admire Finnick's ability to do that. I love Finnick. Yes. Well, what plot did you bring? So the plot that I brought was kind of how privilege interacts with Katniss's prep team. Obviously, her prep team is very privileged. They live mm-hmm. in the capital. Not only do they live in the capital, but they are made it as a prep team. They have what is sadly, you know, seen as this great honor they get to actually work with the games which everybody or most people in the capital is so obsessed with and Mm -hmm. so they have so much privilege they have the basic privileges of what people need to live Mm -hmm. right but then obviously it's seen from things like the feasts and everything that they have and the fact that it's like oh well let's go take this drink and vomit in the bathroom so then we can eat more food when you know other people are starving So it's not necessarily pointed out in an obvious way by Katniss herself, but like to me, there's the correlation between the privilege they have and the fact that they just don't give a second thought to Katniss's experience Mm. and how different of an experience that is and how them doing her makeup that one, she's not even comfortable with and two is just basically prepping her for slaughter Mm -hmm. it's like oh we'll just be talking about our parties and be super jovial about it and they don't yeah they don't think about someone else's experience and how that experience might not be their own which i think is one of the big parts of privilege that 
usually you don't know that you have it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You don't know that you have it until something happens and you realize that you have privilege or someone calls you out on it or, you know, whatever it is, you have to be educated. There has to be some type of catalyst to make you realize your privilege. And that clearly hasn't happened for them yet. And I think that causes them to be pretty callous towards all the injustice in all the districts. But at the same time, then some of that privilege obviously breaks once they're taken into District 13 Mm -hmm. and are basically confined and likely tortured there. And part of the reason was because they were uh, trying to like get an extra role that they were like sneaking away. And, you know, that's definitely not allowed in District 13. And so... It's, I think it was really good that that part was in there because even when they're forced to experience a little bit of what people who are less privileged than them have to face, Mm. they still feel they should be entitled to something Mm. more. Like, they still want to have more privilege over other people. And that's not the way that they're thinking about it in that moment. They're just like, I'm hungry, I want more. Mm. But if they have more, then who is getting less? Mm. And they're still not in that mindset of thinking about it in that way. So yeah, I thought it I thought it was really interesting and I think it it was done very well. And I think also, I mean, Sin is technically a part of her prep team as well, and he obviously does realize the injustice. Mm-hmm. And I wish that we found out how. <laughs> like mm-hmm. the backstory of Sin would be so fascinating. But through his privilege, he tries to actually ally with everyone who is underfed and everyone who's oppressed. And so he uses his privilege to give a platform Mm. to help ignite this rebellion to eventually take down the structures of oppression and inequality. And so even though they were all a part of one prep team, he interacted so differently than the rest of them did. Yeah. And that that is such an important part, too. And, and I think that that's a good difference to point out as well between Finnick using his privilege to, quote unquote, take care of Annie or, or whoever else it might be, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas Sina, as you said, gave, uses privilege to give a platform to those who didn't have it. Yeah. And as a metaphor for the real world, that's the one to really, really look at as the model to work off of, where if you have that privilege, you should use that not to help people, right? It's not a white man's burden kind of thing. It's use that to give a platform to others because they don't have that platform and you do. And so it's for you to utilize your access to that and step aside, which is so important. And Sin is a great example of that, which I wasn't thinking of, but that's that's such an important point. That's so cool. Well, what a, what is your compelling question for me? Well, I wanted to ask you how you see privilege uh, as a factor in Katniss's relationships. Interesting. Okay. Okay. So are we talking romantic relationships? I think it can be any relationships. Hmm. Well, the one that initially just came to mind when it wasn't necessarily romantic Mm -hmm. would be her and her mother Mm. and how... She harbors this resentment and hurt and distrust from her mom because Mm -hmm. when their dad died, she just wasn't there. Mm -hmm. And Katniss had to figure everything out as a little 11 or 12 year old girl. And 
And that's totally and completely understandable. At the same time, it's interesting to see from her mom's perspective that she was suffering this really severe depression. Mm. And when you're suffering a really severe depression, sometimes you just, you don't have access to be able to do what you want to be able to do. Particularly when you're lacking other privileges like class and healthcare and these other kinds of things as well. Yeah, and and she couldn't just go work in the mines because that seemed to be like a gendered thing. Mm. Only the men would work in the mines and eventually she she was able to make a small business for herself mm. but really in that in that circumstance it's just really hard because both of them lacked privilege and ultimately it was Katniss that stepped up mm. maybe Katniss didn't have that depression that her mom did but she also didn't have as much ability in the sense she's a kid there's only so much she could actually do she still had to like go to school and whatnot so, yeah, for me, that relationship is very complicated when it comes to privilege. I think also it's it's very interesting with her relationship with Peta because she's from the seam and he's from the other area of town where people have lighter skin and have more in general. So Peta was definitely more privileged than she was, mm-hmm. but only to some degree. He worked in, in the bakery. So even still, he's a kid working. Clearly suffering some abuse at home. For sure. Suffering abuse at home that Katniss didn't suffer. Mm. I mean, she suffered neglect, but not the same sort of physical and uh, verbal abuse. Mm -hmm. And so he worked in this bakery, but they weren't able to really eat the food. They basically got like stale bread. Mm. It was for the wealthier in that area of town. And so within the divide within district 12 he was he was on the higher half but of that half he was on you know closer to the bottom and so it's interesting and then obviously once he gets essentially brainwashed and you know tortured and all of these things for a couple months or more then so much of his agency was taken away mm-hmm. and yeah, he lost a lot of his privileges, like even to be able to believe what's true. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking a similar relationship uh, with her and Madge. Mm-hmm. Um, because in the first book, she's surprised when Madge comes and talks to her, right? And she clearly does not see Madge as a friend. But when she comes back, in particular after she starts seeing how Madge, her aunt, was in the Hunger Games and how she herself was affected by the games and and seeing her also in comparison with the capital instead of just in comparison with herself. I think she starts to see her as a bit much more nuanced than just this is someone who's privileged and I'm not, Mm -hmm. but seeing kind of those different levels of privilege. And I think that's that's one of the things that allows her to really gain a friendship with her uh, moving forward from that in in the second book, which is just something I think is, is interesting because I definitely see Katniss as someone who is not quick to trust or to like people. Mm-hmm. And I think that she definitely uses discrepancies in privilege as a way to write people off, oftentimes for good. But I also... What do you mean for good? Like, I think that it's a good thing to sometimes to have a... Like, the way that she treats the games masters. When yeah. she's like, <laughs> you are treating me this way. 
clearly you have no respect for me and I'm not going to placate you and treat you respectfully if you are not respecting my humanity and my existence. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And, and I think that 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 kind of rebellious streak in her is something that, that's so powerful and so, so important about her character. But I also appreciate seeing her struggling with seeing the humanity of those who have privilege. And I think the, the prep team is a good example of that. Sin is a good example of that because she's so surprised that someone in the capital she could like. And I think Madge is, is a really interesting example of that too, even though we well, don't see much of her. Yeah, we don't see that much of her. And that's like another thing I remember from that. I think it was from the first book when Katniss was going to Madge's mm. place and Gail was there and Gail was kind of like grumpy mm-hmm. towards Madge. But Katniss almost a little bit, you know, had a defensive attitude towards her because she was like, if I had a friend, she would be the only one I have mm-hmm. <laughs> because they would have lunch together and like not really talk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Gail was, you know, kind of hostile in, in, in response to that privilege and um and i can understand conceptually why (laughs) you would definitely feel that way but even in in that instance katniss was like well but she's she's okay like she's kind of cool yeah well (laughs) i i think that's the really interesting vice of of gales is that he is Mm -hmm. you know he has that beyond katniss to an extent that is oftentimes so clouded that it's it's problematic you know, and, and you can see that with the nut, for example. Totally. And his wanting to just kill everyone there because their district too. They sided against them, right? And Whereas Katniss is willing to change her mind mm-hmm. based off of getting to know people. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's your question for me? So my question for you is what do you see or what ways do you see Katniss having privilege? Obviously, there's a bunch of ways that she does not have privilege. Mm -hmm. But what ways do you see that she does have privilege? That's a good question. I think that you can definitely see privilege in her skills. Mm -hmm. That she had a father who had access to these skills and this equipment that he could give to her. And if if you kind of extrapolate that into modern society, that would be kind of like not a college degree, but, you know, someone who has access to relationships or access to something in society that can that can help you in some way and that can be passed down very easily and i think that she she starts with that even though she doesn't see it necessarily that way that that's definitely an element of privilege and that i think also leads to a relative able-bodiedness she is not extremely strong she is not extremely well fed but she's better fed than many people in district 12 there is an element of privilege there that she has the use of both of her legs and, and you know, all of her uh, her digits and everything like that, right? And so, yeah, there, there's some elements of privilege there. I think that there is an element of privilege in her attractiveness as well. Whether she tries or not, she has people who find her attractive. Both Peta and Gail will sacrifice anything for her, and I'm sure that they love her for more than just her attractiveness, but I think that that's an, an aspect of that too. Um, I mean, she's not supposed to be particularly attractive, is she? I think from her perspective, she's not attractive. She doesn't see herself as attractive. But I think that, one, of course, a prep team is going to make enhance anyone's features, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't think that she is 
unattractive. I think at most she might be plain, and even that, I don't know if, if that's true. I'm not saying that she is the most attractive and naturally beautiful person in the world, but I think that she has a average to above average attractiveness, probably. But that might be me reading into things and, and putting my own socialized ideas into, <laughs> in, into play as well. But yeah, I, I just, I feel like there's a lot of ways in which she is treated by others in ways that are extremely beneficial to her that aren't always earned, whether that be with Gail and Peta or her father or uh, other kinds of things where she's been able to gain these uh, these useful skills or relationships, sometimes even despite herself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and for me, that, that, that sounds like privilege. Yeah, for sure. Though I guess they're not quite as systemic. So I wonder how, or how much privilege has to be tied to systems of um, hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think in in the Hunger Games world, having a skill set does lend itself to privilege. Like mm. it just there is no college. <laughs> like, there True. there aren't a lot of things. So being able to f- have the skills to be able to put food on the table is like a privilege that most people in in District Twelve don't have. Absolutely. And I remember a comment that was made just kind of in passing, which I love that Suzanne Collins just puts these little things in there so that they're there, even though that's not part of the Mm storyline. It was at one point Katniss was thinking about how the original head peacekeeper in book one would basically purchase sex for food from Mm -hmm. young girls in District 12. Yeah. And... She she said, you know, would I be one of them if I hadn't learned how to hunt and I didn't have my dad's bow? She has those privileges that other girls in District 12 don't have. And so they do whatever they can to try to have enough food to eat. Mm. So she definitely has that. And I think also compared to District 11, which is where Rue and Thresh are from, she didn't realize that other districts can have it a lot harder in some ways. Mm. And because they had a much more militarized peacekeeping force Mm -hmm. that then obviously in book Catching Fire, they actually get because the head peacekeeper is replaced by someone who's much more militarized. And so, you know, they can't have the black market where they're able to, you know, because they're not allowed to hunt, Mm -hmm. right? But they do anyway. And that original peacekeeper, he wasn't too bothered by it. But didn't they say that he also would sometimes buy stuff too, or he at least eat the things that were bought from? I think so, yeah. So she realized that, yeah, she had those privileges in, again, this Hunger Games world that other districts were far more disadvantaged because they couldn't find food. Even if they did have the skill set, it didn't matter. They were so policed. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, why don't we go into our missed opportunities? Well, what's yours? Mine is pretty broad. It's just I don't see a, a ton of intersectional analysis in Hunger Games. I feel like a lot of the things that are, are portrayed tend to be kind of focused in one sense of privilege. We don't see how that incorporates gender or we don't see how that incorporates class, right? And we don't see en- enough sure, about sure, within yeah. that where we don't see how even within the, the the spectrum of oppression or privilege on one of these, how that intersects with another spectrum. And I think that that is something that I've certainly been touched by when I've been learning about 
my own privilege and, and, you know, the hierarchies of society. And I think that she does such a good job of critiquing a lot of those. But I just wish I, I could have seen a little bit more that was a bit more intersectional in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. What about you? What's your missed opportunity? So mine is that I wish that we had gotten to see kind of different levels of privilege within the capital mm. itself. Because like the U.S. is the capital, right? Mm. Most people, not all, but most people have access to things like electricity. Most people have access to clean drinking water. Not all. Flint, you know, and a bunch of other cities around the U.S. have been an example of this. Mm. But for the most part, the majority of people do. And there's also a lot of different services for access to things that we, uh, that people don't necessarily have access to mm. currently. So there's a wide range here. But in general, the U.S. functions well as a symbol of, of the capital compared to countries that, you know, like one of my friends grew up in, he had to walk miles a day to get water. Mm. Or obviously places that are completely war-torn and places that the U.S. has gone and made war-torn mm. and they have to deal with the ramifications of that and not having access to anything so my missed opportunity is that we didn't really get to see the range within the capital itself of where people were most privileged and where people were least privileged because Mm -hmm. you you know that there's still going to be a spectrum even in the capital so yeah 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 that makes a lot of sense and i mean to go into more of what you're talking about you know in the same way that the United States is the most privileged in the world, we do have those nuances of privilege within. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, being able to see that within the capital would also be, be very interesting, especially, I think, seeing it within those who are and are not members of resistance would be interesting, seeing how those how privilege can interact with, with that, right? Those mm-hmm. who might have more access to education, are they going to be more likely? Are they less likely, you know, to be part of a kind of resistance against the, the status quo? Because that means that they have certain privilege, but they can they use that privilege in, in new ways. And yeah, I mm-hmm. think that that would be something that would be for sure really interesting to see more of. Well, I guess that there is Castor and Pollux mm. who were definitely lower class in the capital. That's true. Besides them, yeah, we don't really get to see it that much. And I think it would be just really cool to get to see the differences for why they're joining mm-hmm. this rebellion versus someone like Plutarch or Cinna. Exactly. We don't even see that much of, of their backstory and what it's like for them to be a lower class capital citizen. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad it was in there, but I just want more. Mm-hmm. Well, what about your, your takeaway from this conversation? Oh, this is my takeaway. <laughs> I think mine is just that The Hunger Games is about privilege. Mm-hmm. It is key to the story and the narrative and everything about those books is uh, so imbued with with criticisms of privilege and hierarchy that exists within society and, and how that can and can't often be challenged. And, and I think that's uh, privilege and agency go, go really, really well in hand and i think that this is a a great example of how we can see systems of privilege exist and see the uh, opportunity for agency within that and oftentimes the barriers to to agency Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah i think my takeaway is kind of just i've i've seen so many different 
great issues from the books as as I've read along. And so many of those issues like intersect with privilege mm. or privilege is kind of an umbrella under which these different issues fall. So it'll be interesting next time I read through them to, I don't know, just keep my eye out a little more to see where there are places that I probably haven't noticed as much or there's more depth or richness there than I really gave much thought to. Always good to plan the the next reread of these series. <laughs> oh, totally. <laughs> it's, it's a perpetual cycle. It really is. Well, before we move on to our wrap-up, should we do a Patreon update? Yeah, let's do it. Now that almost our month is through, we we won't be talking about Patreon quite so much. Definitely not. Every episode, but for this first month, we just want to let you know that we're doing it, that it's out there, and how you can support us. Absolutely. An additional perk for our patrons is that we took the wonderful little tier logos that Kimberly Taylor Pastel at Lacelet designed for us, and we are turning them into buttons or magnets, and so we'll include those in the kits that we send out to our, our patrons as well. So if those sound interesting to you, it, any tier has those available as those those goodie kits. So. And if they don't sound interesting to you, who even are you? Have you seen them? <laughs> they're adorable. They're, That's why we decided to do it. Yeah, they're amazing. Totally. So we are currently at seven patrons. One more than from last week. Mm-hmm. Yay! So we're at seven. We want to get to ten. If we get ten by June 8th, which is just a few days from now, then we are going to record our super nerdy love story mm-hmm. <laughs> episode. And we would love to have three more patrons join us. Technically, there is one lovely supporter and listener who is trying to figure it out because they're from another country and payment is weird. So if we even get two more, I think we can count it as like (laughs) the 10. So if you've been thinking about it, then you know that your $12 in a year counts. Mm -hmm. And that basically comes down to 25 cents per episode which is $1 a month, and that's basically less than a meal at a restaurant. So, yeah, if you can become a patron, we would absolutely love it. It would mean so much to us. It would help let us know that you out there really care about what we're doing and are invested in it and want to be a part of it and would love us to go further and be able to reach our goals and our dreams and (laughs) all of the shooting star rainbows. (laughs) Yeah, and we've already started giving out the patron gifts, so we've posted our first collection of recommendations that we'll be doing per month. We've sent out So basically five recommendations that we have on TV or movies, books games, music, etc. Mm-hmm. We've sent out some goodie bags. So th- there's all sorts of different uh, rewards that you can get for being a patron on our, uh, you can find it on our Patreon page. But uh, we'd really love to, to get more support and really uh, more engagement um, and of course more listeners. So as always, please, please, uh, we're also finishing up this month where we're asking everyone to find us one more listener that you can just get someone to listen to at least an episode. They might share your love of the Hunger Games or Avatar or Star Wars or whatever else it might be. We'd love to get more listeners who add to the conversation. Absolutely. And we're also only $2 away from our stretch goal of $50 a month. If we get those two extra patrons, then we will have met it. 
for sure, which is awesome because at that point, then Chris is going to be doing a weekly blog article. Mm -hmm. I know we've talked about it before, but why don't you give us a little example of some things you're thinking about writing about? Yeah, so I officially have the the go-ahead to announce that I will be presenting at Comic-Con this year in San Diego. Yeah, you will. So I've written a paper on the New Mutants, uh, an X-Men spinoff in comic books, and so I'll be presenting that at Comic-Con, and so I'd love to either make a version of when I'm written for Comic-Con and make that on the blog, or just an analysis of what it's like to go to a con like that, and I've gone to many of them, and uh, it'd be really interesting to write about what that experience is like and critique that from from the way that we we do this podcast. There's also books and other comics that that I'm interested in. I could I've been thinking about writing about maybe Avengers Endgame as the culmination of this huge uh, arc of comic book movies. So yeah, there, there's a lot of things I'm, I'm I'd love to write about and and put on on the blog. Absolutely. Well, can you bring up what we'll be discussing next week? For sure. So we're going to be going back to Avatar: The Last Airbender and Legend of Korra, and we're going to be talking about leadership oh leadership and avatar yeah yeah all right well looking forward to that (laughs) well thanks for listening to this week's episode of geek between the lines you can find us on social media by searching for geek between the lines on facebook instagram twitter or pinterest i was pinning super nerdy geeky stuff all the time anyway and so i figured i might as well put it all in one place for you if you like random geeky stuff all the time so obviously on our five properties i have different boards for all of them including like nerdy theme party stuff Mm. or like fan art a ton of fan art quotes and also just other geekdom in general you can also go to our website bit.ly slash geek between the lines and of course it's easy to find us on any podcatcher be it apple podcasts or stitcher or google play or wherever else you're getting um and while you're there please leave a recommendation or, and, a, and a rating for us. It's always helpful for getting us new listeners. And so we uh, are so appreciative of all those who've given us those rating reviews and we challenge you to add your voice to them. We want to thank Kimberly Tepasel at Lacelet for designing our logo. You can find her great designs at lacelet.com or searching for Lacelet on Instagram or Facebook. And we want to thank you, of course, for listening again. So we'll see you next week. Until then, geek out. Yeah.